0: Hi, everyone. My name is Uwe, and I'm the team leader of the Central City Mental Health team. I have with us Kelly again, a therapist and senior community lecturer at Ohio State's College of Social Work. Today, we're going to talk about mental health. Kelly, thanks for taking time to chat with us. Thank
1: you, Thank you for having me.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, as you know, our church is placing a focus on mental health uh, over the last year. It's been a struggle for a lot of people. Um, And so to reduce stigma and to help educate, I'm excited to just spend some time talking about this important topic. Sure. To start, um, can you take a second to introduce yourself? What do you do and what do you care about?
1: Yeah. So um, so as you said, I, I am a senior lecturer at Ohio State. I've been there over 10 years now, I guess. Um, but before that, I, you, know, you kind of start out in the field and you have different things that you do that sort of lead up, I guess, in some ways to that. Um, I started out in the juvenile justice system. So I worked with uh, kids who had been, most of them had uh, substance use and misuse disorders um, and were on a specialty treatment docket. So I started working in that population, very much enjoyed it but began to realize sort of the systemic nature of sort of what they were dealing with. This was coming largely from um, histories of mental illness and substance use and things like that within their family structure um, that then led to their own use and and sort of working there. Um, I then went on to schools and sort of worked everything from kindergarten all the way through seniors and sort of got to know uh, what was going on there. Um, A lot of that was sort of social skills and helping, you know, academically get kids on track of where they needed to be. Um, and then we did a lot of sort of advanced case management aspects of things If kids were having significant issues and problems, we would kind of go in and, and work with that. Um, worked there for a little bit and then I, I went on to a women specific treatment program where I worked with women in trauma. Um, they also were on a specialty treatment docket, they've been human trafficked. Um, and so a lot of those folks uh, had the dual uh, diagnosis of mental health and substance use and misuse uh, issues. Um, and those folks, that kind of really introduced me to trauma work and I became a trauma therapist and did a lot of things there. Um, in the meantime, we had done some research with Ohio State and they had asked you know, for some of us to sort of come over and do some teaching and that's how I got introduced to Ohio State. Again, I had gone uh, undergrad and graduate there. Um, But then I um, I realized that the whole reason I had signed up for all of this was to help people. Um, And so I decided that it was important for me to keep that connection with my clients as well. So I started into private practice and I've been in private practice now for about 10 years. So I do both simultaneously.
0: Nice. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, What a great, great work to, to be in. Um, So as we get into the specifics of mental health, one thing that we want people to know is that there is professional help available. Mm-hmm. In fact, our mental health team at Central City will help cover costs of the first couple of sessions with a counselor. Oh, um, yeah. As someone, yeah, as, isn't it? We're really excited to, to be able to offer that to, um, to people in our community um, that are affiliated with Central City. As someone, listen, as someone is listening, what are some of the warning signs that someone should watch for to know that they need to help, uh, that to know that they need to seek professional
1: help? Yeah, so I, I think there's probably many warning signs out there, but some of the main ones I would want people to think about would be things like, Um, having a a significant difficulty regulating your emotion, you know, so if you're, if you're super depressed, and no matter what you try to do, just can't seem to go forward and do your, you know, your basic life sort of things, or um, you're so anxious and worried all the time that it's just really disrupting you. um, Those are probably indicators that something has, has happened that might, might, might require more professional assistance in some way. Um, I think doing things, you know, like I said, looking at at aspects of your life, such as home and work and school, you know, if you're really struggling in those areas or something that's going on with your mental health is preventing you from being effective in those areas would would be an indicator. Um, Something like um, really struggling to maintain um, human relationships, you know, if, you, if you're trying really hard to connect to others, but you have this deep-seated desire in a way to pull away and to isolate or to separate yourself out in some ways could be an indicator that you're having um, significant issue. Um, I also think just the, uh, other aspects such as someone who's experienced trauma that is sort of having this, this repeated kind of reaction to that. Um, or someone who's using substances in order to cope. Um, I, you know, I don't see that as a bad thing or a weakness. I see that as somebody trying to help themselves. But it it has this kind of negative consequence over time if that's being used as a primary coping mechanism. So I think in those instances, again, professional help might be warranted.
0: Hmm. Thank you. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And so there could be there could be multiple. Um, situations that a person could be in where it could be helpful to see somebody.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Um, would you say, uh, does it need to be a full-on mental health crisis to see counseling, or can someone benefit from seeing a counselor if they don't feel like they've hit rock bottom yet?
1: That's a fantastic question, and I, and I, I get I even have students ask me that. Um, you know, for some folks, something like a rock bottom sort of situation is what is the the thing that that propels them to services and and there's nothing wrong with that it it may be an indicator to the self that this is this is a time that i have to get help i don't have another choice Um, but in all honesty i think most therapists are going to say to you i'd rather see you before the crisis hits you know i'd much rather um see a couple that can't sort of organize what's going on between the two of them and, and get consensus rather than seeing them as they're ready to file divorce papers you know what i mean like i think there's some preemptive work that could be done that could just Help to, help to process some of the information you're dealing with or stressful situations or whatever it is. Um, you know, my, in my own practice, you know, half of my clients uh, qualify as having a, a mental health diagnosis. Half of my clients are dealing with life transitions. They don't really have a diagnosis. It's more um, some major life transition that they're just trying to process through or they're having difficulty with um, that doesn't require sort of this rough bottom moment or anything like that.
0: Um, do you have some examples of what those life transitions would, could be?
1: So it could be something like um, and maybe your kids have all left and gone away to college and you're sort of wondering what to do now. Maybe the marriage is sort of um, not the way that it used to be or that was centrally located around the kids and now they're gone and we don't know what to do. Um, it could be something like retirement, right, where you had this sense of industry and now suddenly that's gone and I don't know what to do with my time and how I fit in anymore um, could be something like a newborn baby. I, I have a client that, that had triplets unexpectedly. <laughs> so you could imagine sort of the chaos that comes about that and, and sort of that couple questioning their ability to parent, you know, and I'm saying, geez, people have problems with one, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. You know? So, so I think, you know, those kinds of things, just these unexpected events or even events that, that you thought you had planned and then you go through it and you suddenly realize this is a lot harder than I thought. I think, um, COVID has been one of those, you know, nobody saw this happening. And so it's really changed our world in such a profound way that I think in some instances, just being able to process information with someone else outside of the self is is incredibly important.
0: Yeah. So I've heard, I've heard people say that it's, it's kind of like we go, we go do our, um, our physical health checkup, right? Like at least once a year, but nobody ever talks about getting like a mental health, checkup or seeing somebody just for a few sessions to see how, how things are going.
1: We're doing, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up. It's something I mentioned in classes a lot is in our, in our society, we really do this weird mind body duality, right. Where we say the body, if you, if something's wrong with your body, you go see your doctor. If something's wrong with your mind, you go see a shrink or a psychologist or a social worker or whatever. Um, and the realities are if I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I, you know, whatever's going on with me, that that's mental situation is going to affect my physical body. The two are inextricably linked. Um, and so, so, yeah, you're right. It's it's fascinating that we we create that separateness um, when in reality, they, they both very much connect to one another. And, and I've seen more and more, and I, I noticed this when I go to my own doctor, I've seen more and more where they're introducing sort of these mental health these quick checks or these little screenings that you fill out when you go in, and I'm 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 glad to see that because I think it's it's really opening up that awareness to how the two are so so remarkably related. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm sure people listening know someone struggling with a mental health issue. How can friends and family helps help with someone experience a mental health crisis?
1: Yeah. So this can be really overwhelming for folks in some instances, particularly when when you're not overly familiar with what's going on with the person or what's happening. So I wanna I wanna really lay the groundwork to have people understand nobody expects you to be a therapist for somebody. You know, this is just what that's why, you know, you and I have gone to school for as long as we have. We we know that it takes a lot of training. Um, But I think there are some simple things that people could do every single day in order to connect to someone. I think finding out if they're getting care and then if not, helping them to connect to care. Um, I think being able to express concern and support, Um, it's it's fascinating. Some of the research that we've we've looked at uh, when we talk about, um, you know, counseling in general, and we look at what are some of the most effective treatments for folks, um, the one thing that resonates and sort of really comes to the top of the list is having a really strong therapeutic alliance. Um, It's not some fancy questions that we're asking or the order in which we're asking. Or any of that kind of thing. It's about the human relationship that we've created. Um, and I think in some ways, just being able to connect to somebody and support them and say, I'm here and I care, um, that has a profound healing effect for folks. Um, sharing the, the idea that there's hope, that these, 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 issues are treatable. We, we can certainly get in and improve um, the situation if, if we can, you know, kind of support someone and get them the help that they need. Um, you know, reassuring them that, that you care about them and help maybe helping them with something simple like everyday tasks. Um, you know, if, if the person is is really depressed and, and kind of not able to get groceries or to do whatever it is, you know, being a, able to go and maybe help them do some of those, those tasks, get the groceries or help them, you know, order online or whatever it is. Um, and perhaps I think one of the one of the biggest pieces that we could do as an individual is to recognize that we need to have respect and compassion and empathy for folks that are experiencing this. Um, I think sometimes and not not by any fault of anyone, but I think we tend to explore the world through our own perspective or our own lens right So if I've experienced, Uh, depression or anxiety, then I have a better understanding of what others might experience. But if I've never experienced that, then somebody presenting with something like that seems very foreign and I don't understand it. Um, And so I, I think it's important to understand that a lot of times things like depression and anxiety and um, even ADHD or trauma, um, there's chemical reasons that these things are happening, neurochemical reasons that these these situations are taking place, almost where the brain is is uh, misusing or not using chemicals properly that's creating sort of this, this reaction that this person is having. Um, and so I think it's it's very, very important that we recognize that we don't get mad at you know, the type one diabetic because they're, they're, you know, pancreas is not producing, you know, insulin cells Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know? So, so I think in some ways recognizing that, that this is is sort of a a real condition, this is something that they, they don't have a lot of control over. And so in in some instances, that's why it's so important that they get the help they need in order to, to fix that. Mm
0: -hmm. So, so there's, there's a number of things that friends and family could do to, to be supportive.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Along with seeking help, there are a lot of other things we can do to help um, cope with anxiety or depression. What are some of the most basic coping skills that that you recommend? Mm
1: So one of the things that I do whenever somebody comes to me with something like that, and we begin doing our work, one of the main things I want them to do is to really gain self-awareness around their own condition. Um, really understand how does this work? What are things that could trigger me? What are things that could be um, instances that are indicating that my that my situation is gonna get worse or that, that I'm heading down a path where, where things could could be exacerbated in some way. So I, I really work with them almost as a, I don't know, investigator, I guess, to help them really map what's going on with their specific disorder and how it, it, how it manifests for them. Um, I, I think it's very important to, um, to, to be aware of that so that when we have that awareness, then that allows you to take those steps in order to prevent it from getting worse, right? So things like self care, engaging in in mindfulness and presence of the moment and not allowing myself to think bad thoughts or get myself all worried and and making things worse. Um, So I think that's really helpful. I think there are a lot of coping skills that we can work with um, to sort of help the person and and to to be aware. Um, And then I also think probably the most important piece is having compassion with the self. Um, in some instances you know if this is the way that, that your brain sort of manages neurochemistry it's, it's okay you know it's not something that you should be ashamed, ashamed of or, or or see yourself as deficit in some way it's just simply um, the journey that you're on and we, and we figure out how to how to, how to mediate that
0: mm-hmm. Um. Well, it's funny that you you mentioned like um, being ashamed because there's there's a lot of stigma around mental health still. Right. So the church hasn't always been an advocate for mental health. And um, what ideas do you have for a church that wants to help destigmatize mental health um, resources?
1: So I think, I think there's so many resources out there. And I think if, if, you're, if you're faced with something that you don't understand or you don't quite know or whatever it is, rather than kind of going out of that gut instinct of like, oh, that seems weird, don't know why they're doing that, look it up. You know, there's certain um, organizations on the internet now um, that, are, that are kind of national organizations, things like uh, National Institute of Mental Health or um, an organization called Miami, which is the National Alliance for, uh, for Mental Illness, um, or you could get involved in something like a um, just a, a quick Google search of things uh, through like Psychology Today, for example. They have a lot of um, professionals that will write articles that are very, I think, uh, tangible for for the everyday person. You don't have to have some sort of you know research background to understand what these folks are talking about. They make it very clear. Um, also, there are medical sites like uh, Johns Hopkins and and Harvard and uh, Mayo Clinic. They're constantly sort of producing things for mental illness and uh, awareness and things like that. That I think you could go in and and just sort of look up the general uh, aspects of that and, and so that you have at least a general. Um, consensus of what you're what you're trying to work with so that you're not letting that own personal lens of never experiencing this uh, color your your reaction to what somebody's experiencing
0: Mm -hmm. so speaking of church from your own experience or whether that's like in in practice or research or um maybe your your own social work education background how can faith support to mental health as opposed to a detriment so
1: uh- I, the research is, is really robust on this. Um, when, you, when you actually get back and take a look, when I, when I work with a client, we don't just say, tell me about your mental health or whatever. We, we want to take a look at, at all domains of functioning, right? We want to look at that holistic picture of what the client is experiencing. And that includes their work life and their education and their personal life and their resources and all of those kinds of things. And so you go in and take a look at all of those. And within all of those areas that we look at, we look at their spiritual life. We understand that, that, that having some sort of belief of something outside the self is remarkably healing. And I think if you leave that off the table, you're missing this really profound opportunity to help somebody in a really meaningful way. Um, I think that there's many aspects of the church that could, that, that are really, really powerful. Um, one of the first might be belonging to a supportive community. Um, you know, one of the things that we understand and, and, and sort of evolutionary psychologists have looked at this, you know, we, we've lived in caves and groups for, you know, since the beginning, you know, we ran this 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 group. And so one of the surefire ways to make sure that someone was ultimately sanctioned in a group if they couldn't get along was to kick them out of the cave. And when you kick somebody out of the cave, it, it's, it's almost a death sentence. They just they can't maintain themselves without the social community and all those kinds of things this church is, is providing something like that to the person. And if I'm lost in a mental health crisis or a mental health space, I tend to be very me-focused, not in a bad way. It's just, this is what I'm feeling. I'm very dark and I'm very sad and I'm very alone and I'm very scared. Um, and so having that community that pulls me out and makes me more of that we-focus, that I'm okay and that this, this group cares about me, that is really, really profound and healing. I also think it, it sort of resonates the person in a space of, um, depending on, I guess, what the faith is, but meditation, prayer, mindfulness, um, sort of having a space of practicing gratitude, uh, quiet self-introspection, some of those things can be incredibly powerful for our our mental health. And those are things that the church themselves have encouraged with us, you know, the praying and those aspects. Um, so I see that as being really powerful. Um, also, I think within that community, a lot of times a cornerstone of of the uh, uh, you know faith tradition um, comes with it. Um, kind of a sense of honesty and kindness, a sense of hope and compassion um, that that is already built into the structure. That I think really has this powerful healing um, nature for a person who might be experiencing something like this. So, um, so I, I see the church as being a really powerful partner in healing. There's no question about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, let's say someone is signing up for a counseling, counseling session for the very first time. Mm-hmm. What Expect in a first visit with a therapist or a counselor?
1: So, I think right out of the gate, and, and you know, you would know this from school, but one of the things that we really push with our students is really building that therapeutic alliance. You know, if I, if I can't build this sense of, of compassion and trust with this person, then it's going to make any work we do together very difficult. Um, so, so, there should be some sense of sort of um, getting to know you and building that relationship. Um, working really hard to understand the problem from the from the person's perspective. Um, you know what what is it that they're feeling as as something that's overwhelming or stressful? Not what I think is overwhelming and stressful, but what does the person think is that? Um, and then I think really importantly that the person is that the therapist is trying really hard to map the effects of the problem, to truly understand how this problem is affecting them in all the areas of their lives so that I have a full understanding when we go in to start working in our partnership. Um, and I, I don't I don't know how to stress that more than just to say that, that my approach with clients and I certainly teach at Ohio State, and I know we as spouses, is that we, we build a collaborative relationship. We're not experts. We don't come in and tell you how to live your life. You're an expert in your life. I simply just come in, and I, if, I, if I see myself as an expert in anything, I guess it's in asking questions, right? Like um, being able to come in and connect to that person and to ask those questions that help to map what's going on. And then, together through that collaborative relationship, hopefully, then we build some sort of, a, um, of an understanding of how to um, envision a, a problem free future, or at least a, a, a future where that problem has less of an effect in your overall life.
0: Um, so, what 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 does the very first session usually look like for a client when when a new client comes to you you've you've never met them? Uh, what is the first session like?
1: So when they first come in, the very first thing out of the gate generally is that we're going to talk about confidentiality. That's one of those pieces that people are fairly nervous about because sometimes you know you don't want information on insurance or you don't want people outside of that room knowing some of the things you may share. Um, I've had clients share things with me that they've never told anyone else in this world. Um, and so they need to understand that that our relationship is very much a confidential one. Um, I don't share their personal information, even with loved ones. That's not, that's not something that we do. Um, there are aspects where I would have to go outside that relationship. So certainly if they're going to injure themselves or they're are threatening to injure someone else, certainly if they're harming children or, or if they're harming seniors, uh, elderly folks, those are situations where we would have to go outside that relationship for the protection of the other and self. Um, but in general, I, we're going to talk about that right out of the gate. Um, and then what we're going to do is, is hopefully uh, create what we call a biopsychosocial assessment, um, which is it's going to kind of go in and really map all of the areas of the person's life. And I'm going to just ask a bunch of questions so that I understand Um, how this works and I know for some folks you know, you kind of just want to get down and dirty and just hear, well, here's what's going on in my mental health. Um, But there may be aspects of the other parts of the life or the history or something like that, that you may not have made that connection with how that is affecting you currently. Um, That may be something I'm looking for as a professional as I'm mapping the information. So um, we'll probably create a biopsychosocial. um, And then then we'll come up with like what we think is a reasonable treatment plan. What are the goals we hope to come up with together? Um, What are the indicators that we're getting better, right? We should be able to to, to To be able to look at that throughout our relationship, that period of time that we're together, we should be able to say, you know, these are the signs that things are getting better. Um, I know with my clients, I usually will set up um, some sort of a, an evaluation tool where we uh, scale our progress each session, and we'll take a look at, you know, from between now and last session. What did you notice and where are you on your operationalized scale that we came up with to see if things are improving? Um, and then if we're not, we have to go back to the drawing board and figure out a better way to manage what, what we're experiencing, right? Um, so I think those are, those are aspects of, of the relationship that, that I would expect to see in, the, in those first couple sessions. Um, and then a lot of it is just kind of coming up with whatever that intervention is going to be and then working on that to see if we're effective over time.
0: So the first session is usually like a mix of like housekeeping as far as confidentiality goes, uh, understanding the problem and what brought the person in, understanding the context, understanding the environment of the person, and then um, looking ahead and kind of um, deciding on uh, where, where you want to go together. Yes. Okay, um, so finding the right kind of counselor or the right therapist can be a little tricky Um, what are some good expectations to have for a therapist? And how do you find a therapist that's a good fit? What should people be looking for?
1: So ultimately, I would love to say to you... All of us are great. <laughs> right? I mean, you, you know, ideally, that's how it works. But we know that's not the case, you know, and we, and we don't we don't engage every single person we need and think that's the best person I've ever met in the world. Right. Like we, we all have different ways that we engage um, people and we feel different things make us feel comfortable. Right. So I think um, starting right out of the gate, I think some things that you'd want to look at. Um, For some folks, especially is is my ability to pay for services. So if I, um, you know, if I have insurance and that's something I want to think about, reach out to that insurance provider, Um, see who's on those panels so that you know that that part of the equation doesn't need to stress you out. You, You already have that piece Um, taken care of. And in some instances, insurance companies will um, publish bio biographies of of therapists, or you can even go to clearing houses, again, like psychology today, where they'll have um, bios of therapists that you can sort of look at and kind of sort through what you like or what you don't like, depending on their education and depending on their focuses and things like that. Um, And then I think the next thing you could do is you could ask someone you trust. Um, You know, if other folks have been through therapy before, they've had a good experience, you might ask, who did you see? You know, who, who did you talk with? And so in some ways, um uh, that's, that's a large portion of the clients that I get is usually for, through referrals of other clients that, that you know, they're um, kind of sending folks uh, my way. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions about a therapist when you meet them, That you, know, you know, talking about their training or their focus or their, you know, their, their experience, anything that sort of concerns you and, and that is something that you want to know about. I think you have every right to, to ask those questions. Um, you know, certainly we want to find someone with experience, but I think it's even more important in, in my mind to find somebody who's nonjudgmental, somebody who's um, willing to have that collaborative partnership that we discussed. You know, if this is somebody that's easy to talk to and you feel like that they're, they're being connected to what you're saying, that they genuinely care um, about the outcomes of your treatment, um, they're not, you know, brushing you off or invalidating you or whatever it is, um, those are indicators to me that, that you can build a, a sound a relationship with that person that they're that they're there for the right reasons for you um, and then I also think don't be afraid to keep looking if it's not the right fit um, I, I've had clients that have come to me before and said you know I, I just didn't click with whoever this was or whatever and, and that's I commend them for continuing to look and just not giving up. Um, Just saying that that first therapist didn't work isn't a reason just to stop, right? And so, you know, know know something about yourself. For some folks, it's, you know, I, I would prefer a male therapist or I would prefer a female therapist, depending on what your problem is or how you relate Um, I also think it's important to have an expectation, you know, do do you have some sort of, you know, there are folks who tend to be kind of high energy. I tend to be on that scale a little bit. And so I'm sure that there are times my clients leave and go, oh, my God, I just got hit by that truck, (laughs) right? Because I just, that's just my energy. And I, and when I work with clients, they're used to me interrupting them and being like, wait, what happened? Go back to that, you know, talk about that. They're fine with that because they're used to that higher energy, for some folks, that, that could be nails on a chalkboard, right? That, that it's just I'm going into somebody that I that I want to be more peaceful and sort of you know mellow and, and just very calming in that in that instance. Um, and so I think you know knowing a little bit about yourself and what you're looking for, and then as you go into that relationship, see, seeing how you feel, seeing um, you know what what your what your um, your gut is telling you about this relationship. Um, I think is is incredibly powerful and trusting in yourself
0: to find that professional. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we covered a lot of um, really helpful information. And I hope that whoever is, is watching this or listening to this will um, know something now that they didn't know before about this topic and um, areas related to mental health. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us about um, what you do and um, just mental health in general. And, um, we really, really appreciate it. Is there anything you, you think we didn't cover or anything else that needs to be said?
1: You know, I, I just, I think it's important to to mention to you guys, like, I am so impressed with this whole concept of what you guys are doing. Um, I, I just, this is so important. And I think in something as powerful as, as a a faith-based relationship that you have uh, with your, with your Not only with the folks in your community, but just in general, that you're taking the time to better understand this and to, like you said, put money behind the idea of of helping people. Um, This is really, really powerful. And I would love to see this sort of being adopted by other faith-based communities.